welcome to your basket is empty. This is a place where I sit down with interesting people doing interesting stuff in e-commerce. My guest for today is journalist at Adweek, uh, an all-round nice person, Diana Pearl. Before we get into the episode, a couple of points. First off, I mentioned that an eel is an amphibious creature. It is, of course, not. It is a fish. Secondly, had some feedback that the last episode had some static. Uh, really appreciated the comments. Um, it was actually a fan, not static. However, uh, this episode, uh, the audio quality isn't really where I want it either. But to give you some context, um, the equipment and my audio engineering knowledge is pretty underground DIY. However, I think that the content of this episode totally overcomes any challenges in the fidelity, and I'm going to get better and better as we go along. So, enjoy. Diana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, I'm keen to rewind a little bit. So, let's start with what drew you to the world of journalism, specifically brand marketing. Okay. Well, journalism goes way, way back, like to when I was a kid and I made a weekly newspaper in my, mm-hmm. uh, like for my neighbors. Um, so it's kind of always been like a, a love and a passion of mine. I've always loved to write. Um, I studied magazine journalism in college, uh, did some New York City internships at magazines, um, moved to New York right after I graduated and was not in the world of brand, brand marketing at all. Um, I worked at like women's fashion publications. So I was at Elle for a bit and Vogue for a bit and Marie Claire for a bit. And then I eventually landed at People, which um, for Brits who don't know what it is, it's essentially American Hello. It's a very um, large magazine that primarily focuses on celebrities. And a big thing I covered, which always amuses people here, is that I covered the royal family. Um, so it's definitely a personal passion of mine and I was there for three years and I kind of just, I had really like done the celebrity thing. I kind of wanted to try something new. I had a friend who worked at Adweek and covered brands and I thought, you know, this could be a good way to sort of get into business reporting. It felt a little less inside baseball than writing about agencies. Um, and I thought, okay, I love retail brands. I can write about, you know, the brands I personally love shopping at and, um, are fast, have always been fascinated by and so I applied and I got the job and I've been there for about a year and four months. Wow. Yeah. So I'm keen to just touch on the reporting of the royal family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone always is. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so what, what did that entail and kind of what are your thoughts on the monarchy? Yeah, um, I'm a monarchist. I'm definitely pro, but maybe I also say that because my tax dollars don't support them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a lot of writing about their events and their causes. You know, um, William and Kate, Meghan and Harry and the Queen and Charles, they all have all these engagements that are usually related to a charitable cause um, like you know, today actually it's like World Mental Health Day. And so Prince Harry was out, I think, in Nottingham uh, for some sort of engagement. I don't cover it, so I'm not like quite as familiar with exactly what he's doing. But they go out, they meet with people. You know, they just, Harry and Meghan just had their big tour of South Africa. So it's like basically just writing about everything they do because there's only so much information about them that's out there that even if they just step out in public, it's like noteworthy. Um, but it was a really exciting time when I was doing it because I was there like throughout the entire Harry and Meghan dating relationship. So I was working there when that broke, which obviously that was a huge deal for an American celebrity to be dating, you know, Prince Harry. Mm. That was like, mm. it was like the most people story imaginable. 
Um, and then I was there for the birth of Prince, Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis and the wedding and the engagement. So of Meghan and Harry. So it was just like a very exciting time to be there. Um, it's also a lot of writing about their clothes because people love shopping um, Kate and Meghan's clothes. It's crazy. We would like do affiliate links to like their outfits and it would make insane amounts of money. Even like little things like Kate's pantyhose would make yeah, right. crazy amounts of money because anything they touch like turns to gold. Yeah, right. I've yeah. heard that that has been like any of the designers that any of them are wearing it can be like a total shot to stardom within yeah. the day like your brand is just splattered across the world and totally yeah. and i think it can sometimes almost be hard because like they're a brand who made the dress it's called issa london i don't think it exists anymore be, and they she made the dress that kate wore when she announced her engagement to prince william it's like a very iconic royal blue wrap dress and they got so popular and the growth was so fast and they just weren't prepared for it and the brand ended up, I think, going or filing for administration or filing for bankruptcy, as we say in the U.S. Yeah. And that's not wow. the only brand. Like LK Bennett is another Kate favorite brand. It was the same thing. It's kind of just like this rapid climb. And if you don't have like the supply chain yet to deal with such a huge business, it can be hard to, to keep up. That's crazy. Yeah. So you're in London now, mm-hmm. but you're New York based. Yeah. Is that New York based. Um, here for about a month working um, and then doing a little traveling after. So, yeah, I mean, I love London. I studied abroad here. I've always sort of been looking for ways to come back. And I have two friends who moved here, not permanently. They're here for a few years. They have a guest room and we're like, you can come whenever. And so I pitched it to work and they went for it. And here I am. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm keen to explore the work you, you do with Adweek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm always interested in, in the way in which... Um, kind of journalists go about their day because it's a world that I'm not really that familiar with really? other than consuming the content, right? Yeah. So how does it work at Adweek in terms of the content and topic direction? Uh, are you approached by brands? Do you work collaboratively with them? Are you out there scouring what's interesting and topical and, and picking up on it? Is it a combination of all of those things? Yeah, it's definitely a combination. Um, it's funny, like when I worked at People, so much of what I wrote wasn't something a PR person could pitch to me. And so I'd get all these pitches, but kind of, I'd say only 10% of them were things that like could even be considered for something I'd write about. Cause so much of what I'm writing about is like, Kate's out in public today or, or that sort of thing. Whereas now writing about businesses, there's I get so many good pitches. So it's like, hard almost to sift through them and sometimes I like take on too much and I say yes to too much and then I'm like I don't have time to do the other things I want to do um but it's also a lot of thinking about ideas and I think especially for bigger feature stories like today I had something uh go up about Arcadia Group and they've just obviously as you know have had a lot of issues Mm. with uh Sir Philip Green's the allegations against him and then also financial issues so kind of just talking to analysts and about like what is happening there how can they survive how can they you know get back to the point that they were once at and that was a story that i just i saw the news about arcadia and top shop and thought you know i'm in the uk this would be a good story retail wise to to pursue while i'm here um so it's really a huge mix but i i appreciate the pr people who who pitch me good things i feel like sometimes journalists and pr people can have kind of a tense relationship but i try to be very understanding of that they are doing their job and I don't know. I definitely get like a hundred pitches a day though, which can be a little overwhelming for my inbox. So I do, I do a lot of deleting, but um, how do you sift through it then? So like if you like, yeah, Arcadia group was like topical 
this week and you'd happen to get three pitches that touched on that would that be something that you go after or are you just kind of running with your own kind of thoughts and gut and what yeah. you're thinking is going to be you know like, interesting I, like i think for pitches like an example of a story i did off a pitch this week was universal standard which is a retailer that's like most size inclusive retailer in the world they um i this is not going to be the correct uk sizes but in the u.s it's like they carry women's sizes double zero through 40 which is like this incredibly broad range and they're really like a pioneer in that space they're doing a collaboration with adidas i got a pitch about that collaboration and i was like this is a really like uh i say like norm busting brand and universal standard collaborating with this like global giant like adidas that's something that's worth covering so then i worked with the pr person to set up interviews with the universal standard founders talk with the collaboration how it came to life and then i wrote that up but something like the Arcadia story wasn't written off of any pitches whatsoever. I found all the analysts I talked to on my own. Um, I like went out to a Topshop store in Knightsbridge and just talked to customers. Um, like I reached out to Arcadia for comment and that sort of thing. So that was completely like I did all the, the heavy lifting in terms of generating the idea and finding the people to talk to. And I'd say that's at least 50% of my stories. And those are honestly the ones I like working on more. Like. I, I want to be able, and I think it's a great thing as a journalist to be able to share the news of, like I think this what Universal Standards doing with um, having this incredibly extended sizing is like so great, and brands should know about them so mm. they can learn from them. And so like you want to share that kind of news, and also our readers want to know about that kind of news because they are a company that's buzzy and getting a lot of attention right now. Um, but I'd say like I love doing features where I get to like really dive into something and learn a lot. And honestly, like I'm familiar with Arcadia, obviously, but it's not as big of a company in the U.S. So this was a great time for me to learn and really kind of dive into this U.K. retail market. So is that some of your focus whilst you're here is to look at more of the, the retail space in the U.K. from a, a New York lens? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. And I have. Um, I've been trying to do like all my reporting while I've been here um, for obvious reasons. So talking to people while I'm here and I can take in-person meetings and all that sort of thing. But I have a bunch of stories that I'm going to write when I'm back um, about like influencers in the UK and also Brexit. And <laughs> <laughs> Not to say the B word on the podcast. but <laughs> We're going to get to Brexit in a little bit. So don't worry. Um, so um, having a look at some of the, the articles that you've published through through ab week um i noticed that you touch on um sustainability uh, and it's something that i'm, I'm very interested in um what, what's your take on the topic at the moment because i feel that it's very topical and i talked with priya on my previous podcast about what brands can and should be doing in that space and uh, yeah i'd be keen to get your thoughts on yeah it. it's really interesting i went to a, a retail conference hosted by the financial times a few weeks ago and it was all people were talking about it was almost like it was a sustainability in retail conference when it wasn't it was like the future of retailer or something like that um i don't know i think it's really interesting because there is this question with retail of okay you're selling people things like nothing about this is sustainable you know like make like asking people to buy things and encouraging people to buy more things is not sustainable especially on like and i'm someone like fashion is one of the great joys of my life i love to shop i love clothes but you know once you have, you know, three pairs of jeans, four pairs of jeans, like you don't really need much more. Mm -hmm. So it's not like buying food where it's like, obviously we have to buy food or, um, you know, even like cleaning supplies for your house and that sort of thing. So I think that's like a really interesting dichotomy of how can retailers be sustainable while doing something that kind of is inherently not sustainable. Um, I think it's interesting the 
talk all right now about alternative materials. Like there's a big trend of companies using plastic bottles to um, like make recycled, like recycled po- plastic bottles to make like kind of like a polyester like fabric, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Rothy's does it um, and Everlane, which I, I'm not sure if you guys have out here, but it's like a big uh, kind of like ethical fashion brand mm-hmm. in the US. And I think that's interesting, the sustainable uh, materials argument. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's like definitely an important thing, but it's hard because, you know, with every action, it seems to be there's like a side effect to it that is not sustainable. Like, okay, the plastic bottles thing is great, but if you wash, you know, a shirt that's made out of that recycled plastic bottle polyester material, it releases microfibers, which into the like water in the washing machine and then those get released like back into the ocean which then pollutes the ocean so it's like okay but you're doing a great thing that repurposing this plastic but then it also has a detrimental effect on the ocean so i think it's like a very tough challenge and i think that brands really like have like a mountain to climb um in terms of sustainable but it's sort of like i don't know what's that expression like i don't know even like how do you eat an elephant like it's just one bite at a time like you do what you can and I think the fact that brands are paying attention and people are really talking about it so much right now is a, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it definitely plays into the concept of the conscious consumer. I think there's, a, there's mm-hmm. a greater level of consciousness at the moment. And yeah, I totally agree. I think there is a huge dichotomy in yeah. the, the concept, right? Um, particularly from a consumer's perspective. I think we're very uh, quick to make small adjustments in our lives that don't really impact us, right? Yeah. Like going from plastic straws to totally. pasta straws. Totally. But if I was, you know, uh, like saying, okay, well, you, what about the same concept to air travel? Mm-hmm. Totally. Which is, which is yeah, really, which I don't think yeah. that people like hugely talk about. That yeah. This is one of the most like detrimental things to our planet. And I mean, I like I travel, I, I fly on planes, but yeah, because that would be a huge thing to give up. I mean, are we going to go back to the days of taking a boat across <laughs> yeah, the Atlantic, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. it's just, that's kind of unfathomable, but yeah, I think it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. So you, um, cover and you've kind of touched on it, like a, a wide variety of brands in, in your work at our week mm. from, from big brands to kind of, um, D to C challenges. What, what do you prefer working on one or the other or, or both? Um, I think both. I think there's an interesting part about big brands cause they are so big and they really are like culture, makers almost like I think about the Nike and Colin Kaepernick ad mm-hmm. that came out uh, last summer and you know that was like one of the buzziest moments of the year Nike coming out with that ad and you know this is a huge debate in the U.S. around um, you know should athletes kneel during the national anthem and that's it's been a huge part of the cultural conversation and the political conversation and I think a brand you know coming out and making one of almost the boldest statements um, obviously, besides the athletes who are making the boldest statement of all, but making a really bold statement of support, um, you know, I just think that that's something that like changes culture and gets conversation going in a way that just with smaller brands usually doesn't happen. Mm. So I think that brands position kind of in culture and in society as these huge, powerful players is really interesting. But also, I think challengers are incredibly interesting as well because they're changing the way business is done. And I think like pushing the big brands to do better um, and I think be more sustainable and, you know, have a more direct relationship with your consumer and that sort of thing. So, and like in innovating new products. And I also think it's so exciting to see a uh, small brand grow year after year and 
really try to like tackle the space that they're in so yeah i like both (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah i suppose it touches on the sustainability element as well like uh, the challenger brands are probably a little bit more nimble than some of the bigger ones and can kind of tackle those sort of niche concepts that are coming into the market a little bit better so i'm keen to sort of talk about one of the brands that you cover uh semi-regularly victoria secret so yeah and i suppose is like i knew obviously who victoria secret were i didn't quite understand some of the challenges they've had in recent times and i kind of thought as i was reading about it that uh, are they an analogy for kind of some of these older more traditional brands that are Mm. operating in the market at the moment in terms of some of the challenges they're having what's your take on it what have you learned from kind of reporting on them or or getting to know them a little bit more intimately yeah i think they are uh, a pretty fascinating company um, because they've just had so many opportunities i feel like to listen to the cultural zeitgeist listen to consumers and like have taken kind of none of them i I, like i'll I don't want to say I'll give them credit. They just announced, I think, like this week that they hired their first plus size model or I, I don't know if it's for the fashion show. I don't honestly think we've heard. I don't know if the fashion show is happening this year and we haven't really heard that much about it. Things yeah, like, like one model on, said it was canceled. I know it's not going to be broadcast on television, so it's definitely going to take a different form if it does happen. Um, but I would be kind of surprised if it did, because at this point it's mid-October and um, we definitely would be seeing like Gigi Hadid posting about being cast or something like that at this point. But I think they're at an interesting like turning point because Ed Razek, the CMO, who really is like the brainchild behind the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, and he's kind of the one who is credited with kind of pushing this like angel and you know sexy bombshell image on the brand. And he left, so. Without him there, I think there is opportunity for the brand to change and adapt and grow. But I don't know. I just think about like Les Wexner, who's the he's the head of L Brands, which is their parent company, and Ed Razek. Like you have these two old white guys who are, you know, determining the marketing strategy and the stores and everything about this brand that is supposed to like provide women a product for one of the most like intimate things in their life. You know, like their underwear. Um, so. It just like, it has this, I don't know, like kind of stodgy feel to it and clearly like such a male gaze kind of portrayal of women. And I was like, I definitely have written this in an article, but they like portray lingerie as a something that's like uh, for fashion, not function, when really it, it, it is for function. Mm. You know, it is, this is something women have to like live their lives in every yeah. day. And they've always been able to get away with that until the challengers like Third Love and Lively that are these like female run companies that are tr- saying like, no, we like want to make bras that are good for you, not that like make you look hot for your boyfriend or for, you know, whatever random guy. So, yeah, I don't know. They're just like a, a very interesting company because they're going through so much change. And I think they've been able to skate by on this like image that is so outdated. And I, I think you know, in the, like, the era of Me Too, that, that sort of thing, like, you can't just skate by on it anymore. Like, those, more than ever, those sort of portrayals are being challenged, and which I think is a great thing. Um, and I also think, yeah, like, there's a reason challenger brands are called challenger brands. Like, they do challenge the, the like, uh, the establishment players who were able to just do whatever because they had the market share, they had the space in the mall, and no one could really touch them. 
Um, but they kind of ha- now these challenger brands are like pushing them forward and pushing them out of their comfort zone. So I'm curious to see where they go for now because they still do control a huge portion of the market share. They do still have that mall space, even though mall space kind of like the high street is becoming more relevant than ever. But yeah, I don't know, especially with like a different CMO coming in and they have opportunity to make a change, but whether they'll actually do it, I'm curious to see. Yeah, I'd be also curious to see whether uh, like the authenticity of it. I think that yeah. would be one of their bigger yeah. challenges, right? Yeah. Is Agreed. like, um, of course, if that's how they were running with the strategy is in it's, you know, Victoria's Secret branded as it was and then just repositioned to take on this kind of new, more conscious market or do they spin out something new that's, you know, Victoria's Secret behind the scenes, yeah. which could potentially be a little bit more uh yeah authentic to the consumer um but yeah i always find that really interesting right like how there's that concept you talk about like they had all the resources in the world yeah you know and is it is it because you've got these people that are so out of touch at the helm yeah (laughs) honestly i feel like it is yeah and probably quite egotistical and you know maybe you think that you know like what, exactly what they think is right and not yeah. listening and to. And I will say, like, the, I mean, as someone who worked in celebrity journalism and, um, you know, at fashion magazines, like, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show was a huge event. Like, mm. we would, like, I would cover it all the time at People, and it's, it, they get the biggest models in the world, and that's really, I feel like, a big marker of, like, who's a supermodel nowadays is if they've been in the Victoria's mm. Secret Fashion Show, if they're a Victoria's Secret Angel. Um, and I feel like you see like, yeah, like Kendall Jenner and Gigi Hadid being like, this was my dream, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, it really was this like major cultural moment. Um, in just even the past two years that I think people have really started like on a larger level, there's always been people who have been like, this is kind of gross, but, um, I don't know. I I think there's just been such change. And I think a lot of it is because of things like the Me Too movement and people are just looking at things that we just like, yeah, we're just standard for so long and they're questioning them and yeah. thinking differently but yeah i agree i think they're gonna have a hard time because at this point they've waited so long to make mm. that change it's like okay well you're just making it because this is what consumers are demanding now or are you doing it because it's something yeah you, you really want to it. yeah yeah i suppose that 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 brings you on to um kind of next question and that is like taking the victoria's secret example and then sort of um looking at it more broadly mm-hmm. how do you think brands maybe more traditional brands and challenger brands i suppose to some extent stay relevant in 2020 and beyond yeah i mean to be honest i think a huge part of it is diversity and hiring and making sure you have the right people in the room you know i i just don't think things with victoria's secret would have stayed this long if they had had um a female cmo Mm, which yeah of course uh of course a female should be leading the marketing and the conversation um of a brand that's like for women, you know, of course, of course they should. Yeah. Be. Um, so I think having the right people in the room and yeah, having a mix of racial diversity and, uh, like an even split between men and women, I think that's incredibly important for brands. And I don't know, it's just sort of like when you're in an echo chamber, you don't hear anything besides your own voice. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that if you just, it's easy to stay doing what you're doing if everyone in the room thinks like you and looks like you and talks like you and because um, you never have heard anything different about why this wouldn't work. 
Um, so I think that's hugely important. So I also think listening to consumers and making change, even if it seems inconvenient or annoying or something you might <laughs> not want to do, but consumers are vocal and they will take their dollar and, and, and use it elsewhere. Um, I also think convenience is a huge thing just in terms of being relevant. Like I like here and in the U S can I think of a brand that's honestly more relevant to people's lives than Amazon, mm. you know? Mm. And like, it's, it's not because people think Amazon has like great ethics. I feel like, <laughs> you know, it's because they think that Amazon is convenient and it gives them their toilet paper in two days and all the movies they want to watch and, Unlimited free photo storage, which I feel like is a prime benefit most people don't know about. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't know about yeah, that, really. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like worth the, I think, the membership be on its own. Um, so I think, yeah, like convenience, listening to consumers, but I think most of all, just, yeah, having a diverse group of people in the room and not letting your, your office become an echo chamber. Yeah. I think the convenience thing is really interesting, right? Like um, time cannot be bought back yeah <laughs> impossible yeah, totally. money i mean potentially you yeah, can get more of it you know totally. resources for the most part other than time it can yeah. be when you think about i don't know brands that are just so like entrenched in culture like obviously facebook has has had issues in the public eye and and people say that they're trusting it less but at the same time haven't their like user numbers not dropped at all yeah, yeah it's yeah it's because facebook is a, it's it's part of like the fabric of our lives like who doesn't have a facebook account and your Facebook account is tied to, you know, 50 other things. Like, it, it is a really big part of your life. And I think that allows you to, to yeah, having that sort of, like, dominance in someone's life. I mean, it's, I guess it's, like, a different kind of relevance. But there's yeah, no well question it's, it's that they're incredibly to argue, relevant. Right? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I'm keen to talk about your um experience of of being here and and, and being um an expat mm -hmm. and, and kind of looking into um the uk at the moment um given that it's one of the most interesting times yeah. to be here either as a as as a um as a native or a foreigner so what what's your take on the kind of We'll, we'll limit to limit it to the retail market yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not think too broadly politically and economically um wh what's your take on the, the kind of uk online retail slash retail market at yeah the moment? i mean honestly i see so many similarities to the us and i think that in the uk um you guys are dealing with a lot of the same the retailers are dealing with a lot of the same things that we are um you know when i always when i talk about the high street in my stories i always say like it's kind of the equivalent of the american mall mm. Um, you know, it's like this gathering place in towns and cities where, you know, you have retailers that are affordable and, you know, pretty like mass appealing, like an H&M or a Topshop or et cetera. Um, and just like the high street struggling, so is the mall. Um, and I mean, I think like I spent every weekend when I was in middle school at the mall. So, you know, and I feel like that's the same sort of thing. It's like, it's not just a retail center. It's, yeah, it's like a, a community center as well. Um, so I see like a real connection there and the same sort of struggles. I mean, I hear a lot, a lot of talk here about Amazon, which is something that retailers in the U S are also grappling with. Um, you know, how do you compete in the age of Amazon? Do you just not compete and just sell on Amazon? That sort of thing. Um, one thing I do think is, is interesting here is that I feel like there are more, there's more like small local 
artisanal sort of brands and stores and I don't know like in a way that's just to me so charmingly British like you go on a road trip here and you pull off and go to like this beautiful farm store run by a local family instead of a McDonald's yeah which is what we do in the yeah 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 sure sure um and I feel like there are lots of great options and I don't know even just like as a consumer I've noticed things like the groceries here are so much more affordable like and maybe people are gonna think I'm crazy for saying this even though like wait waitrose like it's like it's three pounds for like a dinner which that is not the case in New yeah, York. Yeah, granted, like, I live in New York, but the, we are in London. Yeah, look, what like Whole Foods in New York, which would be an equivalent, is yeah. way more expensive, right? Yeah. Oh, if you want to get like a big thing of soup, it's going to be ten dollars. Far out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My sister lives in New York, and I don't know how she does it's it. Expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, and I feel like people say like, oh, well, London. No, London's definitely more. Affordable. I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think particularly for culinary expeditions, it's, totally. it's way more affordable. That's interesting. You talk about the concept of the kind of like the smaller brands or offerings or whatever when you get out of London and you see the quaintness. Yeah. And I wonder, yeah, is that in in America, I don't know, again, this is from a, well, I'm originally Australian, half Irish, yeah. so I'm not British, but <laughs> looking at it from uh, across the, the sea that it seems like even the smaller challenger brands in America, they're really, really driven. And that's not to say that they aren't yeah. here, but it's kind of here there's maybe an acceptance that oh i don't need to be the next warby parker yeah to be successful yeah. i am kind of like cool with being relevant in the uk and, and maybe europe but not dominating the world yeah yeah i actually had a really interesting meeting with um a company called appear here ah, i know them yeah. very well yeah they do yeah. um yeah their offices are right around here yeah as well. yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it was really interesting and they do the the pop-up retail yeah. spaces for people who who don't know who are listening um, and she said that one of the big differences they see is that in the U.S. it's just like, yeah, everything has to be like big, 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 and you're expanding, and you know you're growing, and it's just such a big, it's such a big market. Yeah. You know, we think about like really the size. Of, yeah, we're just one country, but the size of America is more comparable to the size of like Europe. Yeah, it totally. Is, right. to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. The UK. Um, whereas here, it's a lot. She said it's a lot more like local craftsmen and artisanal brands and people who like make their own like own their own small business and that sort of thing. And we definitely have that um, in the U.S. as well. But I think there is a little bit more of a, like, I'm like making it's like, a, yeah, get, like yeah. a boom and go big yeah. or go home sort exactly, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. maybe is just the American mentality. But yeah, and I even think like about, like we were talking about the, like you drive here, like on a road trip, there is just like a quaintness to the English countryside that <laughs> I don't really think that the U.S rural areas have their parts like new england yeah so i used um, to live in boston yeah. and like uh obviously new that's, england right that's great, like yeah, di- that's like directly across it. the ocean right yeah <laughs> and there's beautiful parts of like the west and and that sort of thing but i mean i think about like i would do i'm originally from chicago i went to school in upstate new york i do that 12 hour drive there is nothing there <laughs> you know besides like a mcdonald's on the side of the road and you know i feel like for a lot in a lot of these like rural areas obviously not all but it's like the only shopping they have is like Walmart. And maybe it's similar here. And I just like haven't been to those areas because obviously, you know, when you're an American visiting the UK, you're going to like the Cotswolds, which is, you know, like choking. On yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah. Cute, too, it's too much charm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charm <laughs> overload. Have you been, I find it fascinating. So in, in Australia, when you do like a road trip, it's like properly nothing for like eight yeah. hours. Oh, I bet. You know, yeah. sort of thing where if you stop, you know, you might die <laughs> um, the, and here they've got the um on the uh, the motorways they've got the like um 
you come off the motorway and there's the like little service center yeah. and it's got all of the like McDonald's and like the subway yeah. and all of that. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Like, I remember going on a road trip and hanging out there for like 40 minutes just checking it out. Cause yeah, really yeah, there's like so it. many options. I know there's really nice ones in like the nice suburbs right outside New York that have like a pink berry, which I don't know if oh, you guys wow. have that here. Yeah, like, like frozen a, yogurt. Yeah, or like, yeah, 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 like frozen yogurt place. Um, I mean, those are in like very like ritzy suburbs, but they're good <laughs> for a stop when you're like driving up to Connecticut or Boston or something. Um, slightly off topic. I d- you went to Syracuse yes, University. Yes. I did a little research on the alumni oh. of Syracuse University. Yeah. Y- you're in very, very, very interesting company. Yeah. We have a presidential candidate. Joe Biden. Yep. Shaquille O'Neal. He, I don't think he went to Syracuse. This is what Google's telling me. Oh. Probably not. I, I don't, don't know. I don't think he did. Okay. So Especially because well, we're a big basketball school. So like he, we, we'd be very proud of him. Maybe he got some sort of honorary thing. Maybe. I maybe, don't know. Maybe. Well, Google's saying Shaquille O'Neal. The other, Grace Jones. She's like... Um, famous 80s pop star oh yeah sorry my age is showing that that's all right it's, but, <laughs> but it's my younger age so it's okay <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um okay so i'm keen to understand before we get into our our uk london quickfire quiz yeah. um who, who do you give going back to the concept of relevancy in terms of brands and mm-hmm. so forth who who's your kind of favorite brand oh, oh you know I, I get that's a, a difficult question but who do you think's doing it well yeah Oh, oh! I have to think. I mean, I I do think Nike has has I know has some internal issues, but I think they just do such great advertising um, that really keeps them relevant and keeps them in the cultural conversation. And it's because they have a history of doing it. You know, they've been taking a stand, so to speak, which is like the biggest trend right now in the advertising and brand world. But they've been doing that for for decades. So it feels incredibly authentic and true to the brand. And I think that's such a wonderful place for them to be in and a unique place that they can come out and yeah, take a stance with Colin Kaepernick and people aren't going to be like, nah, you're just doing that to like get the liberal fans or something, (laughs) you know, it really feels true to their brand that they would, they would take a a stand and have a voice. Um, I don't know. I really like like away the the Mm. suitcase company. I just think they're doing cool things and completely changing the conversation around um like travel and just making it like this incredibly unsexy category or what was always an unsexy category that no one talked about um into something that people do talk about and it's like yeah of course luggage should be like a fun category it's it's all around travel which is like glitzy and glamorous and fun and this thing that is such a great joy in so many people's lives um so i think they're doing cool things um I had another one in my head. Oh, Universal Standard, that company I talked about yeah. before that, I mean, I think the lack of inclusive sizing in the fashion industry is like an absolute disgrace. And their whole mission is not just to make the clothes and make the product, but to help bigger brands learn how to expand their own sizing and um, do it in a way that will actually result in good product that fits people. So they fit their clothes on a model of each individual size so it's not like they just take you know a size two dress and then like just make it bigger like add a couple inches because some things just fit differently on different bodies and like a smaller size might just it might fit differently the way it fits a bigger size so they fit it on each uh, someone of each individual size so they really just like are paying attention and like, like just making good product and have a mission that's incredibly important 
Um, you know, like I can't imagine how hard it must be for some people to shop. And I think that that's like an absolute shame and, and like partake in the joy that is fashion and just have something like going to get a shirt be this like awful experience. Mm. So I think the fact that they're changing that is, is amazing. So those are probably, yeah, three. That that's I, a nice snapshot. I, love. I yeah. like it. Really. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're going to finish it off with a quick fire okay. London quiz. I'm nervous. <laughs> Don't be. Um, I didn't know some of the answers to these questions, okay. so had to look them up. First question. What does it's all gone Pete Tong mean? Oh, I have no idea. It's all gone to shit? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well done. Okay. <laughs> so it's derived from uh, Sorry, a kind of Cockney slang. Okay. Yeah, it's all gone Pete Tong. But it, the, the name Tong. comes from... Uh, a very, uh, I'd say, infamous movie. It's called It's All Gone Pete Tong. About It's supposed to be about a, a DJ from, I think, the 90s called Pete Tong. Uh, and he basically goes deaf, um, but oh, he's a DJ. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it, it's the, the character in the movie is not called Pete Tong. It's really good. Go and check it okay, out. Okay, I'll it's good. watch it. Fantastic guest. Thanks. That was really Thank good. Thank you. <laughs> um, what is a jellied eel? A candy? Uh, I it, close. I wouldn't say it's sweet. Let a pace or no. It's. I, I believe it's exactly what it is. It's a um, uh, an amphibious creature, an eel, and it's jellied. Okay, so, so like a Swedish fish kind of. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. So they they serve them in pie shops. Okay. And you get it, jellied okay. eels and pie. Yeah. I, I I've never had one. Interesting. But uh, yeah, uh, I've yeah. neither. Quintessentially London. Yeah. Oh, I gotta get one. Let's <laughs> <laughs> check it out first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is slightly more. No, no. I would say much more delicious. What is a Scotch egg? Oh, this I know, and I've had one. It's like a egg, like a hard-boiled egg with like sausage. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day. They must like soft boil it and then cool it and yeah. then wrap it in, in the, the sausage, sausage meat and then deep fry it because yeah. the, when you open it, it's still gooey. Yeah. yeah. It's good. I like scotch eggs. Really delicious. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And you can get those in the US, at least in New York. Okay. So given you've got some experience or you used to report on the monarchs, oh. I, I'm assuming you're going to know this one. If I don't, I'm going to be okay. What does it mean if the royal flag is flying at Buckingham Palace? The Queen's in residence. Jesus. That's easy. You could go really? harder I, for me. I yeah. had no idea. <laughs> okay. Final question. In which museum reading room did Karl Marx pen Das Kapital? Oh. Is it the British Museum? Correct. Oh. Well done. Thanks. That's like, I'm you know, happy I did well. 90%. Well <laughs> I would have been embarrassed. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Cheers. There you have it. Second episode of Your Basket is Empty. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as I said, fidelity, not so great. Content, amazing. Go follow the podcast. Subscribe. Tell your friends. I now have an Instagram page at Your Basket Is Empty. Go follow it. If you want to leave any comments, that's probably the best place to get me. And yeah, I'll see you next time. Cheers.